Real quick, before we begin, the movie we're covering today has some violent themes in it that we'll be talking about. So if you're listening with kids, you might want to check this one out on your own first. There were a lot of great movies that came out in the mid-90s, and Liam Neeson was in quite a few of them. In fact, he was in 17 movies in the 1990s, including Star Wars Episode One, Les Mis, and one of the most popular World War II movies of all time, and another movie that we've looked at on this podcast, Schindler's List. Today, we're going to be learning about the true story behind another of Liam Neeson's masterpiece movies from the 1990s. Joined by an all-star cast in Jessica Lange, John Hart, and Tim Roth, 1995's Rob Roy tells the story of a man who has been referred to as Scotland's Robin Hood. But I won't be telling today's story alone. I'm excited to be joined by Moxie Labouche from the fantastic podcast called Your Brain on Facts as we dive into the true story behind the 1995 film Rob Roy. I'm Dan Lefebvre. And I'm Moxie Labouche. And this is based on a true story. Before starting our story today, let's set up our game, Two Truths and a Lie. If you're new to the show, here's how it works. I'm about to say three things. Two of them are true, which means one of them is a lie. Are you ready? Okay, here they are. Number one, Tim Roth's character in the movie was fictional. Number two, Rob Roy's legend began to grow before he died. Number three, Rob Roy had an ongoing feud with the Duke of Argyle for years. Got him? Okay, now as you're listening to our story today, you'll find the two facts scattered somewhere throughout the episode, and by a simple process of elimination, you'll know which one is a lie. And of course, we'll do a recap at the end of the episode to see how well you did. Oh, and don't forget to check out Moxie's show called Your Brain on Facts. It's all... Actually, Moxie, why don't you just give us a quick overview of what your show is about? Your Brain on Facts is a half-hour podcast of things you didn't know, things you thought you knew, and things you never knew you never knew. Available on all popular podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to this fine program on. Thanks, Moxie. And you can subscribe to her show, over at yourbrainonfacts.com. Once again, that's yourbrainonfacts.com. And now let's learn more about the story we saw in the movie, Rob Roy. After a couple minutes of credits to open the movie, we see some text on screen that sets up the scene for us. According to the movie, at the beginning of the 1700s, Scotland was ravaged by famine, disease, and greed. People were emigrating to the Americas, causing Scotland's clan system to die off. Then were given a date, 1713. It is true that there were immigrants from Scotland coming to what we now know as America, even before the United States was a country. 
As is often the case when someone decides to pack up and leave their home, there were many factors that went into the people crossing the Atlantic Ocean to find a new home. It started about a hundred years before the timeline in the movie when thousands of Scottish fled their homelands and made their way to Ireland to escape all manner of calamities, religious conflicts, drought, battles with the English, and so on. Things weren't too much better there. Then, in 1707, when the Act of Union was signed, merging together Scotland and England into the United Kingdom, in the minds of some, things got even worse. So that's why, just like the movie says, Scottish and Irish started making their way to the Americas. Although it's worth pointing out that, as far as we know, there wasn't ever any indication that Rob Roy or any of his men wanted to emigrate to the Americas. In other words, the movie didn't really have any reason to mention the immigrations to the U.S. at all, except, as some reviewers of the movie indicated, to try to tie the movie to filmgoers in the U.S. in some way. After this bit of setting to open the movie, we see a beautiful green mountainside. Then, off in the distance, we can see men approaching. There's six of them. And as one of them gets close to the camera, he reaches down and picks at something in the ground. He picks it up a bit and sniffs it and then puts it in his mouth, chews it and spits it out. Gross. I don't think that was grass. It is true that trackers use animal droppings as one means of tracking animals, but I wouldn't recommend putting it in your mouth, though. Finally, we're introduced to Liam Neeson's character, Rob Roy, when we see they're, they're tracking thieves who stole some cattle. They catch up to the thieves, and then the next day, Rob kills their leader. The rest of the thieves can leave, and Rob returns home to his wife, Mary, and their two boys. Mary's played by Jessica Lange. All of that is made up, but it does set up a few facts that are true. Let's start with who the real Rob Roy was. We don't know a lot about his early life, only that Robert McGregor was baptized on March 7, 1671, meaning he was probably born that February. The Roy part that we know today wasn't his real name, but rather a nickname that came from the Gaelic term for Red Rob, referring to his curly red hair. He was also called Red McGregor, and other more authentic Gaelic names that I can't even try to pronounce. So he didn't really look that much like Liam Neeson in the movie. Although, to be fair, some historians believe Rob's hair turned more of an amber color as he aged. I'm sure it's no surprise that I believe we can learn from history. And that includes my own personal history, too. You know how your phone will remind you of photos that you took on this day a few years ago? Well, I just had one pop up and it reminded me of a time a few years ago when my daughter and I were heading out on a four hour drive to a state park. And it couldn't have been more like 10 minutes into the drive when my check engine light turned on and my car just started shaking really, really bad. Needless to say, we ended up spending the rest of the day at the mechanic instead of the park. Not only was that day ruined, but all of a sudden I had a huge unexpected bill to figure out how to pay. And I really wish I had known about today's sponsor then because that would have relieved a lot of stress. Earn In helps alleviate financial anxiety by giving you access to your pay as you work instead of waiting for the next paycheck. 
You can get up to $100 a day or up to $750 per pay period. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up, and it'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. Another bit that the movie got right is when we see Rob tracking down the cattle thieves. That's not something he started, though. For centuries, the McGregor clan was known for this. They were known in the area as the Wild McGregors, and they'd offer their services protecting anyone who would hire them from thieves. And, of course, if you were a farmer who didn't pay, it'd be the Wild McGregors who raided your farm. Some historians have estimated that Rob would charge farmers about 5% of their annual costs just to ensure their cattle remained safe. Because his family had been doing it for centuries, Rob knew many of the raiders in the area and could guarantee the cattle would be returned. Although it's worth pointing out that some believe Rob himself didn't use the clan name McGregor. The thought behind this was that in 1603, the McGregors had orchestrated a horrible raid that had caused other clans to retaliate. As a result, James VI of Scotland, he would later be crowned King James I of England, issued an edict to abolish the clan name and use of their tartan. So by the time of Robert McGregor, he went by the name Campbell, his mother's name. Bonus fact, the official registry for tartans in Scotland now includes a tartan for Scots of Jewish descent and those who are LGBTQ. As is often the case with history, there's a lot we don't know for sure. What we do know, though, is that the real Rob Roy was married to a woman named Mary Helen. Some historians refer to her as Mary, while others refer to her as Helen. On her grave, which you can find photos of online, it lies right next to Rob and two of their children. She actually has it listed as Helen. But because the movie calls her Mary, for the sake of simplicity, that's what I'm going to call her throughout this episode as well. She was born in 1671, the same year as Rob, and she was actually Rob's cousin. The two were married in January of 1693. The movie's timeline starts in 1713, and we can see that two young boys when Rob returns home. In truth, Rob and Mary had three children by 1713 rolled around. They were all boys. James was born in 1695, Colin in 1698, and Ranald McGregor was born in 1706. Going back to the movie, we're soon introduced to more characters pivotal to the plot. First, there's John Campbell, the Duke of Argyle. He's played by Andrew Keir in the film. Then there's the Marquess of Montrose. He's played by John Hurt. And according to the movie, we see Montrose and Argyle bet on the outcome of a duel between Gilbert Martin's character, Guthrie, and Tim Roth's character, Archie Cunningham. That's all made up. And this is the point where we learn that one of the major players in the movie's storyline is completely fictional. 
Some of the characters were real. John Campbell was the second Duke of Argyle. James Graham was the fourth Marquis of Montrose. Although historically James was elevated to dukedom in the year 1707 because of his support for the Act of Union that we learned about earlier. So technically, by the time in which the film took place, he was the Duke of Montrose, not the Marquess, as the movie says. Through much of the plotline, though, we see Tim Roth's character, Archie Cunningham, as the primary villain. He's completely fictional, which probably gives you an idea of how accurate the movie will be from here on out. Speaking of which, heading back to the movie, we see Liam Neeson's version of Rob Roy coming up with a plan to borrow 1,000 guineas from the Marquis of Montrose. His plan is to buy cattle with the money, raise them, and sell them for a profit. Things don't go as planned, though. According to the movie, it all starts when Brian Cox's character, Montrose's agent Calerne, gives the money Rob was borrowing to Eric Stoltz's character, MacDonald. It was MacDonald's job to deliver the money to Rob but Calern mentions this little delivery to Tim Roth's character, Archie, who catches up with MacDonald and kills him, taking the money. The money goes missing, with Rob Roy ending up in debt for money he never received. That's all made up. As we learned, Archie Cunningham is a fictional character, although the character of Kilern was a real person. His full name was John Graham of Kilern, but for the sake of simplicity, let's follow the movie's lead and call him Kilern. It is true that Rob found himself between Argyle and Montrose and strapped in debt, and some say it was to the tune of about a thousand pounds in today's money. You might say that Argyle and Montrose were rivals, and basically Rob's lands happened to be right between the two. For much of his earlier adult years, Rob lived in relative peace as a cattle dealer, Basically, each year, the Duke of Montrose would give Rob 1,000 pounds, and then he would use that to buy cattle, raise the cattle, and then sell them back at a higher price, paying back the investment and making some money for himself in the process. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was some extra interest in there from Montrose as well. But then the next year would roll around, and then the same thing would happen, and that was basically how he lived. Uh, that went on for about a decade between 1702 or 1703 and then uh, 1712. Things were going well. Now, there's some conflicting reports on exactly what happened, but as the story goes, in 1712, the cattle market tanked. In June of 1712, he was denounced for defaulting on his loans. We don't really know if it was Rob himself who took the money or if it was one of his men, but Rob was held accountable for the 1,000-pound loan that disappeared. Some reports suggest that it was Rob's head cattle drover who was supposed to deliver money to Rob from the Duke of Montrose, but instead absconded with the money himself. Still, other versions of the story suggest that maybe Rob took off with some of Montrose's cattle, too. In either case, Montrose really wasn't too happy and set about trying to destroy Rob by mounting a campaign of police action against him. It probably didn't help that Rob was able to stay hidden thanks to help from John Campbell, the second Duke of Argyle and Montrose's arch rival. He was sympathetic to Rob, Argyle was sympathetic to Rob, as a fellow Jacobite supporter. Back in the movie, we see Archie and Killern show up at Rob's house with a detachment of soldiers. 
Rob isn't there. He's already gone into hiding. But under Archie's leadership, the soldiers kill cattle and burn the house. But not before Archie brutally rapes Mary. That didn't happen. At least, not the way the movie says. As we've learned, Archie Cunningham is a made-up character. So obviously, he didn't rape Mary. But there is a legend that tells the story of how John Graham of Killern raped Mary. Of course, as the movie shows, Mary tries to keep it hidden from Rob. He eventually finds out, though. Some historians discount this story, because Rob at one point in the disputes with Montrose manages to capture Killern and hold him hostage. But history tells us that Rob treated Killern well during that time, something that probably wouldn't have happened if Killern had raped Rob's wife. And the movie was inaccurate in showing that Mary might have ended up pregnant from the rape. We know from history that the only time Mary was pregnant after the timeline of the movie in 1713 was when Rob and Mary's fourth and final child was born in 1716. So unless Mary was pregnant for a really long time, it didn't happen as a result of being raped in 1713 like the movie suggests. Bonus fact, there are cases of women being pregnant for years, but never giving birth to a live child after that such as the case of the 82-year-old woman in Colombia who found out she had been carrying a calcified fetus called a lithopedion, in Greek, stone baby, for almost 40 years. This can happen when a fetus fails to develop, and instead of being expelled, the body covers it in calcium. There have only been 300 known cases of lithopedia in the world, including women who got pregnant and gave birth successfully while still carrying the stone baby. Nine of the 300 cases had carried their stone babies for over 50 years. We'll learn a little bit more about the McGregor's baby later on. So then, what did happen if Mary wasn't raped? After Rob disappeared with Montrose's money, it was John Graham of Killern who was sent by Montrose to take Rob's land and home. They kicked Mary and the children out, leaving them homeless in the Scottish wilderness. Back in the movie, we see the results of the plot line between the fictional Archie and Rob. The tension escalates when Rob's brother, Alice Dare, is killed by Archie's men. Just before dying, he tells Rob about how Mary was raped by Archie, causing Rob's blood to boil. That didn't happen. We already learned about Archie and Mary's rape, but the real Rob Roy McGregor never had a brother named Alice Dare like the movie shows. His siblings were John, Sarah, Margaret, and a half-brother named John, also John, another one, and Duncan. In the movie, we see Liam Neeson's version of Rob leave Mary to go deal with Archie. When he does, he tells Mary that if their baby is a boy, name it after him. If it's a girl, name it after her. And, according to the movie, it turns out to be a boy, so they name him Robert. The name is true. Although, as we learned earlier in the timeline, the circumstances surrounding his birth that we see in the movie is way off. Robert McGregor was Rob and Mary's last child when he was born in 1716. As the movie comes to an end, we see a duel between Rob Roy and Archie Cunningham. The duel is sponsored by the arch-rivals Argyle and Montrose. After being beaten by Archie, Rob is about to be killed when he grabs Archie's blade with his bare hand. 
catching Archie off guard. Rob jumps up, fatally cutting Archie. A shocked Archie stumbles and drops to the ground, dead. Then, after settling his affairs with Argyle and Montrose, Rob heads home to marry and, in true Hollywood fashion, the two live happily ever after. At this point, you can probably guess how accurate that is. Since there's no way Rob could have had a duel with a fictional character like Archie Cunningham, that begs the question, how does Rob Roy McGregor's story end? Well, it wasn't quite the Hollywood ending like the movie. It also wasn't wrapped up into a single duel like the movie. As we touched on earlier, the real Rob Roy McGregor's beef was with the Duke of Montrose. Or maybe it was the other way around. Neither side was exactly innocent especially because Rob sided with John Campbell, the second Duke of Argyle, in the feud against Montrose. That began in the year 1712. Three years later, Rob was involved in the Jacobite Rising of 1715. If you're not familiar with the Jacobite Risings, those were a series of rebellions that took place between 1689 and 1746 in an attempt to put the Stuart House back on the throne of Scotland. If that name rings a bell, it's probably because you've heard of Mary Stuart, or as she's more commonly known, Mary, Queen of Scots. You can learn more about her story in the episodes where we learned about the movie Elizabeth and Elizabeth the Golden Age. It was in 1716 that Rob and his family moved to Glenshira in the lands of the Duke of Argyle. There are still ruins from the McGregor household that you can find photos of online. We'll be sure to include a link to those in the show notes of this episode over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. During the rebellion, Rob was a Jacobite supporter. We didn't really talk about this earlier because the movie doesn't mention it, but as a teenager, Rob fought in the Jacobite uprising of 1689. For the uprising in 1715, there are reports that he plundered both sides equally. It was around this time that he earned a name for himself for kidnapping, ransoming, and doing all sorts of things that boosted his legend to what we now know as a sort of Scottish Robin Hood. On June 30, 1716, Rob Roy McGregor was officially declared an outlaw. Rob apparently decided that if he was going to be called an outlaw, he might as well act like one. Even more so than he already was, that is. It was around this time that he captured the Duke of Montrose's man, John Graham of Killearn. We learned about this earlier when we talked about the movie's depiction of Rob's home being destroyed and Mary being raped. That kidnapping took place in November of 1716. Rob held Killearn prisoner and had him write a letter to the Duke of Montrose that he would be released for a sum of 34,000 marks. That's about 113,333 pounds or roughly $145,500 in today's money. By the time 1717 rolled around, the Jacobite uprising was suppressed. In July of that year, the Indemnity Act of 1770 was passed by the Parliament in Great Britain. As a part of this act, many of the Jacobite rebels were pardoned for their participation. However, the McGregor clan, including Rob Roy, was specifically excluded from this act. He was still an outlaw. 
In the spring of 1719, there was a royal proclamation calling for Rob's capture. Seemingly unfazed by this, Rob led troops as part of yet another Jacobite uprising. Like the rebels before, it failed. Then, in 1722, he was finally captured and imprisoned for his crimes. Meanwhile, English author Daniel Defoe had found success writing what many today consider to be the first ever English novel. I'm speaking, of course, about Robinson Crusoe, which was published for the first time on April 25th, 1719. As a fun little side note, the first edition of Robinson Crusoe listed the author as Robinson Crusoe. As a result, a lot of people thought it was a true story. It wasn't until later that it was revealed to be a work of fiction written by Daniel Defoe. That's important to our story today because it was in 1723 that a fictional account of Rob Roy's life was published. That book was entitled The Highland Rogue or The Memorable Actions of the Celebrated Robert McGregor, commonly called Rob Roy. And it's a book commonly attributed to Daniel Defoe. When he wrote his own novel simply called Rob Roy that bolstered the story, author Sir Walter Scott said he thought Defoe should have written it, but he never really was confirmed as the author. Daniel Defoe, that is, was never confirmed as the author of The Highland Rogue. In more recent years, some have rejected the idea that Defoe wrote the 1723 book, and rather, the book, really, the author is left anonymous at this point. Sir Walter Scott's book, by the way, was published in 1817. But for our story today, who the author of the 1723 novel is really irrelevant. It was published while the real Robert McGregor was in prison. And because of the book, almost immediately, Robert saw his legend begin to grow. We don't really know for sure, but some historians believe the popularity of the 1723 novel about Rob Roy's life made its way to the royal court. Perhaps it was this popular opinion that led to swaying King George I in Rob's favor. Again, we don't know, but what we do know is that in 1727, King George I issued a pardon for Rob Roy. After five years in prison, Rob was released. For the rest of his life, Rob lived in peace with Mary and their children until, on December 28, 1734, Robert Roy McGregor passed away in his bed at home at the age of 63. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre, along with my good friend over at Your Brain on Facts, Moxie Labouche. If you want to learn more about the real Rob Roy, I would recommend the first book you read is The Hunt for Rob Roy, The Man and the Myths by David Stevenson. That's a great book that dives into the true story behind the many legends, myths, and mysteries that have surrounded Robert McGregor. Then if you want to learn more about those myths, that's when you can read the 1817 novel by Sir Walter Scott. It's a classic book I'm sure you'd enjoy. Interestingly, though, despite having his name as the title, Robert McGregor barely makes an appearance in the book. Or there's always the 1723 novel that we talked about that has an author that might have been Daniel Defoe (laughs) or might not have been, but neither of those are really historically accurate. The 1723 or 1817 novels, they're not intended to be. They're 
They're novels. Okay, now it's time for the best part of the episode, circling back around to our game of two truths and a lie. As a refresher, here are the three facts. Two of them are true, and one is a lie. One, Tim Roth's character in the movie was fictional. Two, Rob Roy's legend began to grow even before he died. Three, Rob Roy had an ongoing feud with the Duke of Argyle for years. Did you find out which one is the lie? The lie is... Number three. As we learned in this episode, it was the Duke of Montrose who feuded with Rob Roy. The Duke of Argyle helped Rob after he was branded an outlaw, his lands were taken, and his home burned for failing to pay back his debts. Finally, before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to once again say thank you to Moxie from Your Brain on Facts for joining me today and helping me out with this episode. Thanks so much for having me on today, Dan, and letting me talk at your audience for a while. And now that you're done here, be sure to go check out her show at yourbrainonfacts.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon.